Revenge of the Sith, Episode 3. War. The Republic is crumbling under attacks by the ruthless Sith Lord, Count Dooku. There are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. In a stunning move, the fiend-destroyed leader, General Grievous, has swept into the Republic capital and kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine, leader of the Galactic Senate. As the Separatist droid army attempts to flee the besieged capital with their valuable hostage, two Jedi Knights lead a desperate mission to rescue the captive Chancellor. Hey all you gals and guys, Grayson Parker Marcotte of the Sleeping Giant Podcast here with another special edition Star Wars episode. I'll be speaking with Ben Abusada about Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Some of y'all might know Ben as Kansas Geek Man in the social media-verse. Either way, I think you'll find him to be a fun and knowledgeable Star Wars fan. Y'all get comfy. We are about to begin. Ben, are you there? I'm here. Thank you so much for taking your time out of your evening to join me on the Sleeping Giant podcast tonight. Oh, absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. I have, I myself have been looking forward to this for some time. Uh, I've only been active with the Sleeping Giant podcast on social media for a couple of years now. And um, you always stood out to me as a very involved Star Wars fan. Would that be an accurate assessment? Well, I'm definitely a Star Wars fan, and I do like to uh, talk about it on social media and share about it. Definitely. Uh, you know, and I, I created the, you're probably on the Kansas geek man account, uh, on Instagram, uh, definitely mm -hmm. created that account so I could have a, a safe place to, uh, be a geek about star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so where, where all can folks find you on social media? Yeah. Well, the, probably the biggest hub, um, for me is uh, where I'm most active is probably on Instagram, mm -hmm. uh, the KS geek man account, which is where you and I connected. And then uh, I am present on like Twitter and places like that, but not as uh, not as not as active uh, there as I am on Instagram. Uh, but I'm also on the Facebook. I've got a page there where I, I basically feed my uh, Instagram stuff there and interact and, with uh, folks over there too. And a lot of that is comprised of art that you have done for Star Wars, which is actually licensed by Lucasfilms for top trading cards. How long have you been doing that? Yeah, uh, I've been working with Tops uh, for various Star Wars projects uh, since the Rogue One movie when that film came mm. out, which was Seems 2016. so long ago. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Do you have a favorite set you've worked on? Um, yeah, I would say um, probably my uh, the ones I enjoy the most are Galactic Files uh, and Masterwork have been my favorites, and that's mm -hmm. uh, those are because uh, you get pretty much carte blanche on uh, any any era of the Star Wars um, franchise so you know you're not you're not um, put in a box of having to do a specific film so you can do the animated stuff you can do any of the movies uh, so those are typically my favorite sets to uh, to work on Galactic Files and Masterwork awesome and I yeah. I myself uh, I, I don't own either one of those unfortunately it's a terrible mm -hmm. shame that was after the time I realized that I really needed to stop because if I didn't um, I was going to bankrupt us yeah. <laughs> something about having to take care of family right I mean I know jeez <laughs> God um, but uh, yeah masterwork is an extremely cool set so I'm I'm definitely looking forward did you work on the the 2019 masterwork I did yeah I did. 
that was the uh, yeah, I think that was the most recent one that came out um, this past fall. I think I want to say. Yeah, I oh, that is that is so cool. I'm always impressed uh, by the work that uh, that I mean, artists like yourself as well as the the list of artists. I mean, it's it's actually gotten quite large over the past few years, but there's a lot of talent in there. So it's very oh, cool yeah. to see you. You also have a YouTube account oh, yeah. um, that I had been looking at earlier, and it seems like I, you uh, do some really cool stuff there too. No, thanks. Well, I, I actually, I'm glad you reminded me of that I totally forgot about that channel. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do get active on there sometimes. Uh, I'll go through these spurts where I'm like, man, I feel like I can make a bunch of videos this week. And then I'm, and then there's weeks where I'm like, man, I'm really tired and making a video yeah. just seems so cumbersome. So uh, I'll just <laughs> randomly put stuff out there. But yeah, I do have a KS Geekman uh, YouTube channel where I'll talk Star Wars and do art and express opinions and yada, yada, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yes, sir. And uh, speaking, of, uh, sp- speaking of all this Star Wars stuff, yeah. uh, I'd actually wanted to have you on the show tonight to talk about Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, which I gathered was your favorite Star Wars movie. And I know that sometimes changes from season mm-hmm. to season. Is that is that currently your favorite Star Wars movie? Um, I would say it's not number one on my list, but it is like number. I can't remember. I just recently did a a list, and I think it's number two or three this uh, this go around. But every year it changes <laughs> for me. Um, and I actually yeah. recently just posted that uh, on my my channel. What did I do? Uh, yeah, it's number two. I put it as number two. Ah, yes. I, so. I did see that. And had I been a dutiful journalist, I would have written that down. Um, <laughs> well, but, in uh, reality, though, it's almost like it's number one because Empire Strikes Back just has always instantly been number one. So it's almost yeah. like the number two slot is kind of the number one. <laughs> exactly. I don't even count it. Empire, right? it's empire and then everything else yeah um so this one came out in may 19th 2005 talking about a long time ago it's crazy (laughs) um so it was written and directed by george lucas um unlike its predecessor episode two which actually had a a co-writer mr jonathan hales Mm. um so we're once again back with uh mr lucas for the ride so what was the hype like for you before this film came out oh man um well this this was a unique time i remember in 2004 and 5 um there were times where they were they were very aggressive about um sharing things on the internet starwars.com was i don't know if you remember they would like set up a live camera and you could like sit there on your lunch break and just watch a room uh, of people doing stuff oh wow Uh, they were creating, um, you had no idea what they were doing, but every once in a while you'd see George Lucas walk in and talk to somebody behind a computer or whatever. It was just really, really awesome. It was so unique. So mm-hmm. in addition to just the, the buildup of anticipation for uh, the continuation of the story after episode two, I mean, they were showing you so much online. It's like they really spent a lot of time investing uh, in ways that they could reach the fan community uh, in unique ways. I don't think anybody else had done uh, back then. They were doing a lot of groundbreaking things within sure. uh, uh, social media before social media even truly existed. You know, it was, uh, you know, they were driving a lot of stuff on their, on their website. Uh, so I remember the anticipation for the film there. And I remember the night going to see it. Um, I mean, back then you couldn't reserve your seats 
uh, for the film. So you actually had to stand in line. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if people remember that. But uh, we, we, yeah. To, oh, yeah. We actually had to stand in line in order to get good seats. Um, so, yeah, we, my, a friend of mine, I remember we went to the midnight showing. They also, at the time, midnight showings were actually at midnight, not 7 p.m. the night before. <laughs> right. Uh, so we had to, uh, I think we lined up at like six o'clock that night and just stood in line for six hours and they let us yeah. in and I had a portable DVD player and he and I just sat and we watched the, uh, Tartakovsky, um, uh, Clone Wars cartoons that I had on. DVD oh yeah. Time. Yeah. So we kind of led into Revenge of the Sith watching, uh, Mace Windu choke General Grievous. Which was uh, so as, important. Yeah. <laughs> as a, as an aside, those those shorts were so amazing to me because it was my first experience uh, with expanded media um, leading into or dovetailing into what you were seeing on screen. And that was so cool. Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was one of the cool, cool aspects that they really, uh, really did a great job with, I think building anticipation for, uh, for this film. What's your relationship to this film and how is it different to the others? Well, um, I love Star Wars and specifically uh, the original trilogy. I loved the the redemption arc of Anakin Skywalker, right? Mm-hmm. Of Darth Vader. I think that is um, that is just one of the the greatest uh, stories that has been told. Is that story of redemption? And I love um, I love Revenge of the Sith because I love how you see his fall. Um, you see. The fall of him, you see the fall of a religious uh, kind of organization that um, kind of got got deceived and filled of itself and fooled, mm-hmm. and then uh, the fall of a you know of a government, um, all based on this idea of um, you know putting entrusting itself in the hands of one political leader uh, for the sake of and I'm using air quotes safety and uh, peace right. and uh, being willing to give up everything. Um, for the sake of being safe. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's just something compelling about that, uh, that story in the prequels, uh, mm-hmm. but then to see it all culminate in that one film, uh, I mean, just for the last 45 minutes of that film alone, I think, um, just is pretty exciting to see that, that transition from a glorious Republic, a glorious, uh, a religious institution that, you know, that is there to serve and protect this government. Um, and then this individual who's being torn apart on on all sides, uh, falling, and just seeing that uh, that transition into the old the um, original trilogy is just uh, it's just always been compelling to me. And the visuals, I think visually, it's just a beautiful movie. I would have to agree with that completely. Coming back to this film after such a long time of having not seen it, and and I, I don't know if um, at this point you've heard the the talks that I've had with other folks on the show about episodes two and one, but coming back to these movies after such a long period of time with the intention of uh, learning from them and being able to talk about them with someone else uh, after the fact has totally changed the way mm-hmm. that I see it um, because I'm paying far more attention to the story and not necessarily some of the things that irked me. As I was watching it, and and it's that that thing that you mentioned, uh, watching Anakin kind of being pushed and pulled mm-hmm. in those opposite directions, very very compelling, and you 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 feel bad for him 
Yeah. Um, and, and not to skip ahead too far, but there's <laughs> skip ahead real far. Um, the, you know, when you have that Frankenstein moment of Vader in his armor, um, you know, escaping the table, he, and, and then there's, you know, the elongated no, which I'm not going to replicate here. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it caught a lot of flack and it seems silly at the time, but watching it now, it, my perspective has changed in that you're getting this agony from Anakin who's encased inside of this armor. And that to me, it, it hit, it hit a different kind of way, uh, this time around. And, um, and I think it's for all of those reasons that you just mentioned and then seeing it all just sort of, uh, you know, kind of getting that gut punch in that last scene, totally different experience. So, I'm uh, I'm glad that uh, glad that I had the opportunity to to do this, and then of course come in and uh, talk to you about it. So, with the opening of Revenge of the Sith, it's it's pretty intense. Um, the opening sequence, the opening action sequence, I should say, is pretty elongated, and you get uh, what I've found a lot of people have been clamoring for in newer Star Wars movies is a lot of space action, a lot of dog fights. You see Anakin in what I feel is the uh, the height of his Jedi knighthood. So you're seeing a lot of his piloting, but you're also seeing a, a bit more uh, of his brashness and daring, but it's a little bit more tempered than it was in episode two, say. I mean, how do, how do you feel about that assessment? Oh, yeah, I agree. I think, um, I mean, just right out of the gate, you know, when, you, when, when I just read the, uh, the, the crawl, I mean, that first mm-hmm. word with the exclamation point, war, you know, I think visually uh, that whole opening sequence just completely drops you right into uh, into that, into the state of the galaxy, you know, at that moment, um, you know, with the total it's I always love how it how the, the camera goes down and you see that Republic cruiser. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you hear the you hear Anakin and Obi-Wan's starfighters coming and it seems kind of peaceful. And then they they kind of dive over the top of that cruiser and you see below it the chaos that's happening yeah uh, above coruscant i just love that i think it just sets the table perfectly for how chaotic and desperate um i think the gap the state of the galaxy is in that moment you know um so yeah i I agree and it it does show anakin's you know him at his height you know his confidence his you see all of that you know in his interaction with obi-wan and you can see Mm -hmm. that growth from episode two for sure you can tell that there's been some great (laughs) <laughs> uh, some great battles that they've been involved in without having yeah, seen it, you know? So. Absolutely. And that daring is what gets them, uh, you know, Indiana Jones style through the shutting uh, or through yeah. the sliding door onto right. uh, Grievous's ship. I mean, and it moves them closer to that goal uh, that was mentioned in the opening crawl of, of rescuing Palpatine from the clutches of Grievous. Um, so, again, heavy, heavy on the action which uh, which reaches its climax in the duel with Count Dooku in and uh, I guess what you would consider a throne room or at least what strongly resembles to me the throne room on the Death Star. So again, you have that that mirroring of different scenes um, which we see in three and uh, subsequently in six and then now in nine. Actually, wow, So you know the the saber fight is kind of like the climax of the of the opening action sequence, uh, which which to me, I'd say this is one of the better duels of the trilogy. Um, that's my own opinion, of course. But it the end result, of course, is Anakin slaying Dooku, and the interesting 
thing about this, of course, is that it's at Palpatine's behest, who has not yet revealed himself to be Sidious. So this is the first time we really see pressure being put on Anakin uh, from Palpatine to do something that he knows is wrong. So what what are your your thoughts on this particular scene? Oh man, I love um, I love first of all I, Ian McDiarmid's performance and uh, um, I'm drawing a blank. Count Dooku, what's his name? Christopher Lee. Yes, Christopher Lee. Uh, I think Christopher Lee is fantastic in in this role and in this scene particularly. Uh, I thought it was great. Um, I love um, how you can totally see Palpatine's manipulation and the hints that they hinted at over his manipulation over the years with Anakin, right? Mm-hmm. And he waits for that moment when his mentor, uh, when Obi-Wan isn't, isn't there. So he's completely taking advantage of that situation because Obi-Wan's knocked out, right? Right. So he's, you know, he's seating him with, hey, you remember what you told me about the, uh, with your mother and the sand people? You know what I mean? So he hit, hits him with these subtle guilt uh, mm-hmm. guilt notes that had Obi-Wan been there, I think he would have slapped that down pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. yeah. In fact, when they're leaving um, after the decapitation of Dooku, spoilers, uh, they're leaving <laughs> the ship and Palpatine urges Anakin to leave him and he says, no, his fate will be the same as ours. Yeah. So that, sh- that shows you, because you're kind of, you see this, <laughs> what ultimately amounts to a murder mm-hmm. uh, of Dooku and then, but you you snap back to to Anakin being the good guy. You're like, oh well, he's he's not all bad, you know. He's he's not gonna abandon Obi Wan. Obviously, wouldn't have much of a movie if he did. But the point is made that he hasn't yet turned. So at this point, everything kind of calms down. But what we see is almost immediately a continued slow stoking of the fire. That's Anakin's frustration. You know, they get back to Coruscant and. Uh, you know, Palpatine is still just like, hey, you know, um, you did really well. I think you could do better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and let me ask you this. Anakin, uh, he's married to Padme at this point. It's a secret. He doesn't care anymore. Uh, Padme reveals to him that she's pregnant. Now, let me ask you this because this is just and it may have been addressed elsewhere in uh, comics or books that are considered canon. Now, did or do you think that Palpatine implanted those thoughts in Anakin's mind? Because surely he's aware of their relationship and he's aware of the pregnancy. I mean, he has to be. Do I think that, that Palpatine implanted which thoughts into his mind? The Oh, I'm sorry. The vision of um, doubt and then the, the suffering of Padme and oh, the that, potential okay. of her dying. I'm, I didn't even mention that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like the dream. Um, but yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like he's got... That just doesn't seem like something that could be hidden from a Sith Lord, especially someone who's been paying very close attention to Anakin. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I think it could go. I think it could go either way. I mean, I think the thing about about Anakin's character, he's always lived in a state of fear. You mm-hmm. know, all the way from Episode One. You know, um, the fear of of loss and the fear of insignificance, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, I could see it being just something that's built in him. He's constantly, uh, fearing loss. Right. Um, but I could also see the potential that that could be something that 
that Palpatine would uh, manipulate and use. So yeah, it's a, I, I don't know, man. That's a great question. So it seems like fear and doubt. Would it be fair to say that fear and doubt are the overarching themes of this particular film? Yeah, I would say uh, fear, definitely. Um, fear in significance and a fear mm-hmm. of not being significant, right? Which mm-hmm. is one of the things that Palpatine plays into. I mean, in this film, you see so much, so many times uh, he, he completely capitalizes on those aspects of uh, Anakin's nature and his character. You know, sure. Uh, plays on the fear. He plays on. Uh, he knows that Anakin wants to be a Jedi of significance. He wants to be somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't want to be that slave kid from Tatooine, right? Um, he wants to be something significant, and it's very important for him to to be in a place of uh, value. You know, that's why he wants to be on the uh, on the uh, Jedi Council. You know, <laughs> right? So and, Which he's he given. Play, yeah, and he he plays on all of that. Um, you know, Palpatine does. He completely uses that for uh, for his for his benefit to just twist Anakin um, into becoming his uh, his lapdog. Some of the other things that I've noticed along those lines when I was watching the, the movie this time is that uh, you know, speaking of the theme of fear, there seems to be a fear that others will not uh, will not trust you. Um, a fear that others, uh, as you as you said, similarly won't value you. Um, and amongst the Jedi, there seems to be a fear that maybe they were wrong about the prophecy. Um, there's a moment where Yoda is speaking to Mace Windu, and it might even be Obi Wan that says, "But isn't he the chosen one? Isn't uh, isn't he <laughs> yeah. trying to fulfill the prophecy?" And yeah. I think Mace and, says, and, uh, "So the prophecy says." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it says, and then Yoda says a prophecy misread could have been, or yeah. something to that effect. So then you've got that fear starts to sort of uh, incubate even uh, within the Jedi Council. It seems to me, it could be wrong, maybe they're not afraid, but it definitely seemed that they were beginning to to doubt themselves and, and to doubt Anakin, which uh, which of course plays Anakin directly into Palpatine's hands, yep. which uh, you know obviously is kind of the crux on which this this whole story or this whole film um, hinges. So, kind of in the middle of this, I want to ask you about General Grievous. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's a a character unlike that of which we have seen previously in the uh, in the prequel trilogy. But there's the interesting thing about Grievous is that he sort of resembles aspects of Vader. Yeah. Um, he's kind of cored out and is more machine than, well, perhaps not man, but uh, mm-hmm. some some type of humanoid. And what what do you think about the inclusion of a character like Grievous, who who is kind of like um, the height of his mechanical capability seems to be his defining character trait. Yeah, I definitely think uh, he he was created and put in uh, in the film in the story uh, as sort of a a precursor to what what Palpatine was going to ultimately create, uh, which was Vader. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think he I think that that was intentional. I think uh, you know I think you're you're seeing like at the beginning of the film you get to see Anakin confront Grievous, so you're almost seeing him kind of 
foreshadowing in a, in a sense, uh, a confrontation with himself, uh, in, in the future. You know what I mean? Um, I, mm-hmm. I think that those types of things are intentional. I think as a character, I think it's, um, I think Grievous is, is pretty awesome. Just his design is pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty imposing in itself. Yeah. Um, and yet at the same time with that cough, they subtly put that in there to show that there's still that weak, uh, that weakness in him, that, uh, right. mortality. Um, so I, I think it's a great character. Excellent. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, the reason I ask of course, is because I feel like we've seen these movies so many times. Um, so you can't really say that something is, and I'm trying to find the right words, um, telling you or foreshadowing it's it's i mean it is obviously but it's hard for me because i don't have that blank slate right (laughs) i can't yeah you know i can't go back kind of with the the um, privilege of being someone who's never seen this before and try to make these guesses and make these connections and you know sometimes the name of the game uh is not you know getting it right away sometimes the name is going back and watching something several times and and finding that, but I think you're right, and and I I find myself thinking similar thoughts. Uh, how cool would it be to just how cool would it be to just have a clean slate, start over, and just <laughs> rewatch? Yeah, <those> things? <laughs> I know. I think about that so often, uh, and it's 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 very rare that you yeah. get something fresh and cool, and you know that hasn't been done a million times. Right. In fact, I can't even think of what that would be for me right off the bat. You, is there anything come to your mind? Gosh, man, I, I would say probably most recently it probably have to be Marvel movies. Um, but even then there was still, you knew some of the storylines from comic mm-hmm. books. But, sure. I mean, just nothing, nothing has been like star Wars. I think the only way that you can relive star Wars through that way is probably to watch it through the eyes of your kids or someone's yeah. kids who've never seen it before. But, yeah. I would, I would agree with that 100%. Just try to, <laughs> you can't recapture the magic, but you can have different, positive experiences moving forward which you know i'll take that so the other two characters that really play a a major part in this film would be anakin's wife obviously padme Mm -hmm. and the character obi-wan kenobi um sadly i think that padme is a little underutilized in this Mm -hmm. film which i think is a tragedy because uh, the character is wonderful especially thinking of Padme in say the Clone Wars because they actually spawned so much peripheral media which uh, which I enjoy a lot more honestly speaking mm-hmm. um, so you know you've you've got or at least you know now you have these conceptions or I have these conceptions of of various characters that are in my opinion underutilized in uh, in the film so I mean Ed, would you would you tend to agree with that if if you disagree. Um, yeah, well, I'd like to know maybe what what it is I'm missing. Yeah, yeah, no, I think um, I think it's a good good question. I do remember back when this was released. I remember some of the jokes or the ribbing mm-hmm. that the film got was uh, that Natalie Portman just spent all of her time brushing her hair in her apartment. Um, I think people joked about that. Um, whether if she's underutilized, I don't I don't know if technically I would agree. But mm-hmm. I would say this, I would say that um, she definitely doesn't have a major, she doesn't have a lot to do in the film. Um, but as far as her particular character and what she's, what, what the attention and 
uh, the direction of the film goes. I don't know if she's underutilized. Maybe because I think her parts that she has, they're pretty mm-hmm. significant. Um, there just isn't much for her character to do in the movie other than um, progress. Uh, and some of the stuff they did cut out. I, have you seen the cut scenes that she was in? You know, I haven't. Okay. I have not was, seen those. I mean, there were some scenes. If you go watch, um, they did cut a significant conversation. They brought um, uh, Mon Mothma in, the lady that actually played her in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was actually in a cut scene on Revenge of the Sith, along oh, with wow, yeah, along with um, uh, Jimmy Smith's um, yeah, Bail Organa. They actually had a conversation in in an apartment. I, th- I think mm-hmm. it might have been Bale's or Mon Mothma's, um, but they they were talking about uh, uh, the rebellion, the seating of the rebellion, because they were uh, having issues with the direction of the Senate. And so they were sitting in the apartment talking about what they were going to do moving forward, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and Padme in the cut scene, Mon Mothma and uh, Organa were both talking about the need for potentially organizing some sort of rebellion and an alliance against what uh what palpatine was doing and padme was she didn't seem real uh excited about that idea obviously it was a very intense conversation because here she was mm-hmm. hiding her marriage with with anakin who was kind of being mentored by palpatine sure. um, you know so she had that tension as well but they cut that from the movie um which, that really would change a lot yeah, um, if if you have a chance, you ought to go see if you can find some of those cutscenes that are uh, they're probably out on YouTube. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you: Do you happen to know at what point in the film that was? Because there is a scene that comes to my mind uh, between Anakin and Padme, where she asks Anakin, uh, "Do you ever wonder if we're on the right yeah. side?" So yeah, I wonder if maybe that. that was. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. kind of. That's kind of what I'm thinking with you with you describing that to me. I wonder maybe if that got her wheels turning in that regard. Yeah. That's really cool. That's awesome yeah. to know. Um, so I think and there's I think, a lot of stuff like that that I think that that could have probably made her feel more significant. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think there's some subtle things in there that that are significant that are just kind of overlooked because she's sitting around a lot. <laughs> sure. No, you're, a, you're absolutely right. I think when I used the word underutilized, that was probably the wrong word. Yeah. Um, because as you say, you know, the, the parts that she does play, um, you know, she does move the story forward significantly. Um, and I, I think I, I might've misspoke when I used that word, I would have loved to have seen that scene in the yeah. movie. That, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that it's, would have been pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty interesting to watch because you get a definitely get a deeper understanding and picture of the tension uh, that even she was dealing with. The coolest thing about Revenge of the Sith that mm-hmm. that reveals to me probably one of the greatest villains in in film history is is uh, Darth Sidious and how he is not just a a strong wizard, but right. the dude was a master at the politics thing. I mean, to to create a fake war, right? To, to manipulate two political organizations, you know, the Confederacy of Independent Systems, to play to their desires to have uh, f- a free market system, you know, and to play on their weakness, which is you know greed and money and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. 
and then to play on the uh, the weakness of the other side, which is you know a false sense of peace, and you know uh, he's just a master manipulator. Absolutely, and, uh, it's one of the greatest characters ever. I think for uh, greatest villains ever created because he played I, all sides. Absolutely agree. Uh, that was one of the things actually going back and starting with episode one, because I, I'll level you, with you when I was 17 or however mm-hmm. old I was when I saw that. I did not care about yeah. trade disputes. You right. know? <laughs> like, that was like at the very bottom of the list of right. things that I wanted to see in a Star Wars movie. But going back now as an adult and really paying attention it you see those things that you just described and you see what it was that uh, Sidious slash Palpatine was doing which was as you say brilliant I mean masterful tactician yeah um and and it illustrates too that he's very comfortable playing the long game mm, exactly uh, you know so much so that we're talking since before Anakin was uh, a child arguably before he was born um, all the way to the, the tail end of episode nine. So you're looking at a scope of what, like 60, 70 yeah. years, something yeah. like that. Yeah. It's a long time. Very patient fella. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of that, and, and I wanted to ask you this, like how much do you <coughs> think Alpatine was winging it? Um, because there are, there are obvious moments where, things did not go the way that he wanted them to mm-hmm. um case in point um when they're leaving grievous's cruiser and he he wants anakin to leave obi-wan behind you think that that just would have made his plans work out that much faster or you know how how is how is he making everything work when obviously things go awry as they say yeah i think that like that particular moment i think he I think it was like, oh, cool! I've got a, I've got a moment right here. We can, we can leap this thing a little forward quicker, um, you know. But I don't, I don't think um, he always seems to have plans, or he always seems to be able to work a scenario and situation, mm, a um, contingency. To his, yeah, to his benefit. And the other thing too that I think is fascinating about the idea of, like, if you watch the prequels, every time the Sith Lord is communicating, um, uh, pontificating what's happening. Like Dooku did in episode two with Mm Obi-Wan. He basically in, on Geonosis, when Obi-Wan is in binders, he tells him everything. Yeah. He tells him, he tells him the truth right there. Mm -hmm. And if you watch every time, um, like a Sith is communicating, he's never lying. They're Mm -hmm. always, they typically are telling the truth. And that's interesting. (laughs) It's I, to me, it's always been fascinating because um, because that's that is also one of the greatest things about a villain is if you can get a villain that just tells the truth, but can still mm-hmm. take that truth and make that individual <laughs> view it in a way, you know, um, uh, that will that they can manipulate them. I think that's even even deeper <laughs> from um, a certain point of view. Exactly. Right. Yeah, uh, these these themes do they do run they run wide and and they run well I think, um, mm-hmm. which I'm sure, oftentimes are accidental and then you know throughout stories like this almost like Palpatine you you find the threads of commonality and then you know you pull them, you know you tug yeah. them and then it makes it seem like they were there, yeah. all along, and were yeah. all part of the plan. 
Um, So one of the things that really propels this movie forward is the the location, the (laughs) surprise location of Grievous on Utapau, which is kind of what really moves us into um, the end of of the story or the the fall, as it were, of Anakin. And um, Obi-Wan is sent instead of Anakin to uh to apprehend grievous mm. in fact i don't even know if anakin wanted to go by himself i think he just wanted to go with palpatine or excuse me with obi-wan and uh the council held him back from that mm-hmm. um but uh so what we have is the execution of order 66 while obi-wan is on Utapau trying to uh trying to take down grievous which he's successful in um, and I do want to mention that very quickly and kind of get your thoughts on this, because this is one, this is the one scene. And I mean, I mean, this, this is the one scene in episode three that just leaves me scratching my head a little bit every time I see it. And it is when Obi-Wan defeats Grievous uh, by shooting his heart inside of the uh, inside of the metal casing. Uh, with a blaster and like that's it that's how he defeats grievous and every time i see that i'm I'm trying to find the meaning i'm trying to find the symbolism and i just can't do it like there's something about that that just rubs me the wrong way and i don't know what it is interesting yeah is it the fact that he's not using a lightsaber yeah absolutely it's the fact that he's he didn't defeat his opponent with with the lightsaber which i don't know it just seems to kind of I, I I just I can't explain it. I mean, the only thing that I can imagine is that you know a Jedi is not going to relegate himself to using only his lightsaber. I mean, uh-huh. he's going to use I would imagine anything that he has. I guess it's just so weird to see yeah. Obi Wan holding a blaster. I think that's all it really comes down to. Yeah. It's just that it doesn't look right in his hands. Mm-hmm. It's funny um, because I wonder if uh, I wonder if that particular moment was built to echo that scene, the statement he makes when he throws the blaster and he says, so uncivilized, right? I think mm-hmm. that, wouldn't that a nod to, uh, to a line in the, a new hope. I think they talked about, uh, he says something about the lightsaber being from a more civilized age. Yes. Right? So I mm-hmm. think, I think that that was an, I think that moment where he threw it and said, so uncivilized was definitely a nod to, to that statement made in a new hope. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's a, a thought there or a symbolism there. I think that's an interesting question. I hadn't really ever thought of it. I spend a lot of time I find in these, in these conversations um, talking about the intent behind certain things in a film. And one of the last conversations I actually had was uh, with my dad. We were talking about the Mandalorian and he's very, uh, he's emphatic about the idea that in film and television, uh, visual storytelling in general, everything is intentional and everything has a purpose. You know, very rarely do things, maybe in, in the most poorly made films, uh, sure. do things happen that don't mean anything or hold some weight or significance. And, and as, as you say, it, it might have just been to set up that line, but uh, I've never had any confirmation of that. I've never heard anybody speak about it. So I'm certainly curious. Um, yeah. And unless I'm mistaken, it is while... Obi-Wan is still on um, Utapau that Order 66 is enacted. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. Because yeah, uh, Cody, he just gets his lightsaber from Cody. And because uh, Cody sees him and says, here's your lightsaber. And uh, he takes off on that giant lizard. 
And mm-hmm. uh, then Cody gets the commander. Cody gets the order and has his clones shoot shoot at him. So what what has really happened at this point too is that Sidious has been apprehended, or they attempted to apprehend Sidious, and that didn't work out too well. Mm-hmm. Um, which <laughs> which is what led to the execution of Order sixty six. And again, it goes back to what you were saying about how Palpatine seems to be a dude that has all of these ideas in his mind as far as how he wants things to transpire. In fact, um, I mean, the first order seems like it's another part of his master plan, Mm -hmm. Um, because then you have the final order, I think, in the rise of Skywalker. Um, So it seems like he's he's got these things (laughs) kind of lined up. And uh, so they attempt to apprehend him on Coruscant while all the other Jedi are all these various planets and the country <coughs> just turn on them. Spoilers. If you haven't seen the movie Order 66, <laughs> all the Jedi die. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. bad news. The purge is happening, baby. It's so, happening. It's on. Uh, and, 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 and then and the most important thing of course, is that Anakin is kind of just watching all this happen. And in fact, he was instrumental in allowing this to happen. Yeah. Um, and that he stopped Mace Windu before he could kill Palpatine because he needed, uh, into to allegedly save Padme, which, as we know, does does not happen. Um, right. So this this leads us to what I think, and this is probably why it's my favorite prequel. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Once Anakin is is christened uh, Lord Vader, or Darth Vader, I should say, mm-hmm. by Palpatine. Um, he sets him to work immediately. Palps, uh, he sends him right along his way yeah. <laughs> to uh, basically eradicate any threat um, that, that could uprise, uh, you know, on, on the rebound, as it were. So they've got the Jedi Temple. Uh, he also sends him to Mustafar to, quote unquote, deal with... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, separatist leaders. Yeah. He will which, take care you know, of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can see him wringing his hands, practically. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, um, but yeah, so uh, he sends Vader basically on these errands, which you know is kind of unfortunate because you see almost right away that he's he's an errand boy at this point. Mm-hmm. He's he's running these missions for Palpatine, which is heartbreaking to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, speaking of just the scene in the Jedi Temple, man, oh, <laughs> yeah. I I still can't believe that that was in a Star Wars movie. You know, the uh, uh, Master Skywalker. There's too many. What are we going to yeah. do? <laughs> Ignites the blade. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah. Uh, but that's that's him. And you know, all of that happened. And again, I keep you know I'm watching these movies, and I'm like, oh, it's just a film, whatever. Um, moving on scene by scene, just when when all of this transpires and you see Anakin after the havoc that he's wreaked on Mustafar and that just the tear that leaks out of his eye while he's got his cowl up, yeah, you know that you know that he's feeling it. You know that he knows it's wrong. He he, I imagine very well that he feels all the guilt of what he's doing, but at this point he's just compelled, yeah, and and that that's pretty deep yeah definitely uh it's um yeah that that i remember when i saw that uh, in the theater i was sitting next to a little boy who had come with his mom i remember mm-hmm. hearing the little boy when that scene 
I think the kid was probably like that I was sitting next to was probably like nine or 10 or somewhere on that. Mm-hmm. All I heard him say to his mom was like, why, what is he doing? What's going on? I mean, it was very upsetting to this kid. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, I mean, while some people might have thought, well, it's just too much to me. I was like, well, he's definitely telling the story of mm-hmm. Darth Vader, you know, the fall, you know, if you can compel uh, a kid to ask how in the world can someone who was doing pod races, you know, 15 years before, you know, and then you saw him in Attack of the Clones being a hero. How, how does one get to this point? You know, yeah, it just uh, seemed, I think that to me that that was just a, a, a great indicator that, that George kind of succeeded in the minds of, of the kids that had been following that story thread for uh, however, from 1999 to 2005. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty deep, man. It was very dark. Uh, which I think is one of the reasons it got that PG-13 rating for Star yeah. Wars movie to ever get it. Ab- absolutely. I mean, there's there's no doubt there. And that, of course, is the final nail in the coffin of uh, of Obi-Wan's friendship with Anakin. Mm-hmm. And then you have the what can only be described in my mind as the epic lightsaber duel oh, on yes. Mustafar between <laughs> Anakin and Obi-Wan. Now, let me just say this before <laughs> before we get into that. Uh, my take on this, um, because I've been looking around the internet like you do, and you know, there's never a shortage of people complaining about the, uh, about the prequels and specifically talking about, um, aspects of the prequels that are just not good. And I, one of the weirdest things that I always hear is that the, the duel between Anakin and Obi-Wan is, uh, is pointless or is ridiculous. And, uh, and I'm just, I'm here to tell you right now <laughs> that I disagree. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. So, I don't, I I've mean, never understood that either. I don't understand that point either. Um, yeah. I mean, have you heard that? Is that something that you come um, across? I think I, I've run across it in specific scenes that were shot, mm-hmm. like, you know, specific action sequences within the fight that they say, well, that was pointless. Why are they doing that? Right. You know, um, Overall, I've never heard that the fight was was uh, was not important. But I mean, there is that. Uh, I think it's the specific scene I'm thinking is when they're standing on top of that uh, the map or whatever in that room, the conference mm-hmm. room, and they're like twirling their lightsabers around, not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, that was just part of the showing that these guys were these guys were buddies and they're fighting. You know, they both. Mm-hmm fought side by side and they both had a style that was very similar and you know they were just trying to trying to get their their point in you know what i mean uh yeah distraction so they can strike but at the same time probably didn't really want to strike at least obi-wan at yeah. that moment you know um i think through that whole battle i think obi-wan's still struggled with i mean he's all the way to the end he didn't want to do it but he you know, he was called to do it there, you know, to kill him. But anyway, I, I no. to answer your question in short, I don't understand that. <laughs> just never, yeah. just a, a just a question regarding your own personal opinion. Who would who straight up who would have won that fight like toe to toe if they were really gunning for one another? Obi-Wan and Anakin. Oh, I, I yeah, I think Obi-Wan. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, my gut's telling me Obi-Wan as well. Yeah. That's, I think that's how that yeah. would have gone down. So I that, think Anakin had too much rage. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think, I think that, you know, that's, uh, that's a lot of adrenaline that, mm-hmm. uh, 
that you you know you make mistakes i think uh yeah i think that's what would happen i think you're absolutely right though one of the things that i <laughs> i feel like a complete dolt mentioning this and especially admitting this for everyone and their brother and sister to hear <laughs> is that once this fight was over which again incredibly emotional um i mean it just it hits you so hard the i, I never appreciated the juxtaposition of the birth of Leia and Luke alongside the what really amounted to to be the death of Anakin Skywalker, mm-hmm. um, or at least what we thought was the death of Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't of, know. Birth of Darth Vader. Yeah, I don't know You're how seeing, the significance seeing, of that escaped me for so long. Yeah, you're seeing three births happen at one time. Yeah. Luke, yep. Twins Luke, and yeah. And uh, Vader. So that that the whole scene, and I think the way that I felt about this was uh, amplified and and somewhat changed. In that, when Leia is born, um, you can hear you know Leia's theme playing ever so subtly, and that I you know I'm I'm going to tell you, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you right now that that choked me up. Just yeah. uh, just a little bit. It's the masterful work of uh, John Williams. The dude is yeah, <laughs> yeah. So right, right behind that, Luke is born, and then the binary sunset plays. Um, that, and I can never remember the name of that specific piece of music, but it floors me every time I hear it. So when I was watching it earlier, it was just like, oh, oh, yeah. it's good stuff. <laughs> it was, it was tough. Um, yeah. It was tough. So, I mean, yeah, this I'd say that this is probably the more emotional film in the prequels mm-hmm. and maybe one of the more emotional films altogether. In in this film, is there anything that you were just like ecstatic about? Is there any one scene that you that you love more than any of the others? Yeah. I, well, I mean, I think there's so many that I that I love and I enjoy mm-hmm. about each each act in this uh this movie but there is one that that i've always loved and it's it's one that has like no no dialogue it's the scene where padme is sitting in her apartment Mm -hmm. anakin is sitting in the jedi council chamber mace windu and those guys went off to go confront palpatine i know exactly what you're talking about that haunting music that john williams has overlaying those uh, those scenes and you see the skyline of Coruscant you see the sun going down you know you just you can feel the tension there you mm-hmm. know and that as he's thinking and pondering you know what am I going to do what do I do you know and mm-hmm. that, I think in that moment is is probably where the whole direction of uh, everything could have changed one way or the other yeah. you know um, I've just I just think that's a beautiful beautiful visually and just audibly i think uh the music is just awesome um and uh you know and i think as far as the with the story i think one of the greatest things that i think about revenge of the sith you know one of the one of the weaknesses that i used to think um uh it had was the turning of anakin when Mm -hmm. i initially saw it i felt it was it was pretty quick um it felt quick and then um you know, and I think the Clone Wars uh, cartoon animated show might have helped some of that a bit. But mm-hmm. but when I look at just the film by itself and I re-look at what was going on, uh, it occurred to me that it really wasn't quick. It just felt like it. 
mm-hmm. um, because as you as you progress through this particular film, you know you see that that Anakin's. I mean, he's his character is being pulled in three different ways. You've got the organization and your mentor is asking you to do something that goes against what he thought was a value. You know, they're asking him to mm-hmm. spy on the chancellor. You know. And then the chancellor is asking him to spy on the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your secret wife asking you to please, can you just influence the chancellor? Can you please just convince him to stop this war? You know, and he says, you need to take that to the Senate. You know, that's not my place. Yeah. So, you know, so the, the guy, and we talked about it earlier. I mean, the guy, the character was just in this position of just being pulled at every angle. And, uh, and, you know, ultimately the guy that, that knew this was the, was Palpatine, you know, Sidious and uh, his character is the one that took advantage of all of that and gave him this false hope. Um, and, uh, you know, played into that idea of significance and the idea of, Hey, you can, you can have control over, uh, over, over something, you know, you are significant. And that's what he, that's what his character throughout the prequels was all about was, fulfilling that feeling of significance sure. all the way from episode one you know when you're a slave yeah you, you know you're born into slavery like that you you feel like you're not a human you know and that was the i mean one of the first lines that out of his mouth in episode one was i'm a person and my name is anakin yeah you know? and it wraps up the whole prequel trilogy unfortunately he loses his person and becomes you know one of the the most evil uh tools in a, in a galaxy so <laughs> yes. anyway it's just uh, a, yes. an amazing. It's just an amazing story that I think, unfortunately, the prequels get overlooked uh, because of you know elements that uh, the execution of certain elements. And I think it's a. Sure. I think it's sad that people overlook the depth of the storytelling that's that's mm-hmm. in in the in those films, specifically with Revenge of the Sith. I agree, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because uh, you know for those of that have listened to the uh, the previous two Star Wars chats that I've had. You know, there was just a long time where it became rote for me to complain about the prequels and hate on them. So growing as a person, but also being able to watch via social media how other people's attitudes and um, and and words can affect other people. And, you know, it just, you know, kind of getting that bird's eye view of it really made me reevaluate things. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to go back and do these now, you know, have these chats with you all. I specifically wanted to talk to people that love the prequels because, um, you know, if you love something, you should really celebrate it. And yeah. at, at the end of the day, I love Star Wars and mm-hmm. I, I love it all. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like there's some moments that I'm not as proud of as others, but yeah. at the end of the day, I love it all, you know. And and like you said, it's the depth of storytelling and in the prequels that uh, this go round for me, I'm just I'm so thrilled to have been able to do this. I'm so thrilled to have been able to talk to you all because it's given me a new appreciation for something that I'd written off for so long. And I mean, frankly, there's just there's so much there's just a lot of negativity out there. So I'm trying really hard to do my part to uh, awesome, kind of raise it back up a little bit, you know. Sure. Um, so who is your favorite character in episode three? Uh, Obi-Wan. Yeah. Oh, I love Obi-Wan Kenobi. What's and Ewan, specifically Ewan about awesome. him? Well, oh man, 
let's see, specifically with episode three, uh, with Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. um, I always loved, um, I love Ewan McGregor's portrayal of, of Obi-Wan. I think he does a great job at subtly imitating, uh, mm-hmm. Alec Guinness while not being over the top, you know? Sure. I think he, I think he owns it really well and I think he just does it flawlessly. Um, his line delivery is fantastic and, uh, and everything and his look and all that stuff. Yeah, um, he was rocking a pretty sweet mullet in episode yes, two. I'm always, always keen to talk about the mullet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I prefer his episode three look. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I just, the, I love, um, it's really weird to say this, but I love the tragedy of Obi-Wan in the midst of this. Sure. Too. The, yeah. uh, the sense of like, uh, feeling of, like a failure um mm-hmm. and uh you know the the tragedy of of loving someone loving someone and mentoring someone and trying to help someone and then seeing them ch- choose the wrong path and you know desperately wanting them to make the right choice all the way up to the end you know and he's mm-hmm. like hey i've got the high ground don't do it please don't do it i don't make <laughs> me do this yeah. i don't want to do it i know we laugh about the high ground thing all the time sure but I think it's a I think it's a pretty important moment to see the tension that that Obi Wan had there. You know, he was like, I, I have to do this. I don't want to do this, but he's got to he's got to make that choice. And um, so he did. Anyway, I, I just think uh, you know. And then you know, later on, you see him in A New Hope as as Obi Wan, and and you see him become he's like the old uh, World War II vet, you know, or yeah. Vietnam vet <laughs> that everybody thinks yeah. is is crazy and useless. But in reality, the dude's got so much wisdom, yeah. Um, you know, because of his experience and the stuff he's uh, lived through. So, you know, I'm glad you said that because I wasn't. I mean, I'm excited now, especially after the Mandalorian. Um, but uh, at first, I wasn't too keen on an Obi Wan series because mm. my initial thought was, well, what do we really need to know? Yeah. Um, but since you mentioned that, that adds, and this actually kind of leads into uh, my next question and this will actually be the final uh point that i'd like to talk about um but it does add that that actually i'm, I'm having a really hard time speaking because i'm still processing what you yeah, said yeah. about the development of obi-wan's character and how if that is what we get to explore in this series then i'm i'm 110 percent on board um, because everybody lost in yeah. Revenge of the Sith. No nobody won <laughs> yeah. at all. No. So it, it, w- with that said, um and like I said it sort of dovetails into uh into my next question and that is at the end of episode 3 or, or that tale being completed, do you feel that um with this being the final film in a trilogy that uh, it alters or recontextualizes the uh the font or or rather do you feel that it's been altered or recontextualized by the final film in the third trilogy being the rise of skywalker um revenge of the sith i'm trying to think um i don't know that it's in my mind uh it doesn't it hasn't altered anything uh, Mm -hmm. with, with regard to revenge of the sith um you're talking about uh, Rise of Skywalker, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't, I don't look at that film. I, I put it in the other day. Um, put it on actually yesterday afternoon. I put Revenge of the Sith on just to kind of watch it a little bit and mm-hmm. anticipating our our conversation. 
Um, you know, it didn't really impact that film to me as much as say like return of the Jedi would have just cause I think there was a more direct connection to yeah. that. Now in rise of Skywalker, I say, I wish they, I wish they would have shown a visual of some sort of, uh, of Anakin Hayden Christensen mm-hmm. in some, some capacity. I wish that would have happened, but I was counting on it. Frankly, yeah, I was, <laughs> I, I was surprised. I thought it was going to happen. I, I really was surprised, especially with some of the stuff that was sort of happening behind the scenes, and yeah. you know the the infamous uh, yanking of uh, Ian McDermott and uh, yeah. Hayden Christensen from the the uh, convention circuit. I thought almost sure, surely we will see we will see that, but that's it a conversation be... for a, a different show. <laughs> Absolutely. As well, I'm sorry. What was say. the? Uh... That's a that's a yeah, great right. question for another time. <laughs> Or never. Uh, what were yeah. you gonna say? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Oh, I was gonna say that. Yeah, I, I. It made me wonder that that there potentially was some stuff done or filmed that mm-hmm. didn't make the didn't make the film. That's my opinion. But who knows? Yeah. We won't know probably for a couple years. Yeah, I, I I know that that uh, when you, I, I think that J.J. Abrams has. I think that he's been a good sport. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Um, when people have asked him about the rise of Skywalker. Um, and I know that I'd, I'd read in a couple of different interviews, he rephrased it, you know, a couple of different ways, like you do when doing multiple interviews, I suppose that their shooting schedule was super tight. I don't yeah. think that they had a lot of room. And if, if you're watching the movie and I've only seen it twice, um, but of course the second time, you know, I spent a little bit more time trying to be objective, maybe a little bit more critical. And, uh, it seems like there are some things that maybe could have developed into something else and didn't. Um, and, uh, so I'll be curious to see, like you said, maybe in a, a couple of years, if we can, you know, if maybe we can just spill all the tea, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I'm, and let all the cats out of the bag so that they can run through it and make a mess. That yeah, would be I cool. I don't know. I just don't know if Disney's that way. <laughs> No, I, I'm pretty sure they're not. Yeah. Well, uh, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? Because that's that's really all I've got for you, Ben. Uh, no, I um, yeah, man, I, I appreciate you um, inviting me to talk about um, Revenge of the Sith. I love this movie. Um, I love, you know, I always use the uh, I create. I, I say I created. I don't know that I created this hashtag, but years ago in 2014, mm-hmm. I started a hashtag. I love the prequels. And, mm-hmm. uh, there wasn't much out there on Instagram at the time. Um, I think I was the only, I seemed like I was the only one posting stuff under that hashtag, but I think it's grown, but, yeah, um, you might have the, in 2014, yeah. I, I was like, what's a hashtag, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so I started it and I, I did it because, um, one of the things that, that I was getting frustrated hearing about was, um, mm-hmm. was with the anticipation and excitement of force awakens coming, people were. Were they were excited about it, but at the same time they were digging at at the stuff that George had done in the prequels, and it was frustrating mm-hmm. me. So, um, so it's cool to to be able to to sit back and look at these movies again and mm-hmm. and uh, talk about the the positive things and the influence that they had and and the depth of the storytelling. Um, specifically, Revenge of the Sith is important to me. It's um, you know, it's just it's one of the first movies I got to uh, experience with uh, with one of my children, you know, she loved it. Oh, wow. When she was a kid. It was just awesome. Just a great time for us. So, you know, Star Wars. That's amazing. Star Wars is, it's just a, <laughs> it's a good family fun thing. So anyway, absolutely. I appreciate you inviting me, man. It was a lot of, 
a lot of fun talking you to bet you. ben thank you so much thank you for for being here i know it's it's on the late side of things so your time is uh i'm very grateful for it so thanks again anytime all right you have a good night ben thanks bud you too man it was good talking to you appreciate it that's another episode y'all thanks for listening to this star wars special edition of the sleeping giant podcast next month we'll be diving into the original trilogy with Star Wars Episode 4 and New Hope. I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope that y'all are too.